Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by StoryWorth. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. Welcome back. Thanks. Welcome back. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, movie talk to do today. But before we get to that real quick follow up on last week's episode, uh, in the notes, I put Umbra and Penumbra in the wrong place in terms of which is the dark shadow and the light shadow for eclipses. So just reverse them. You're good. Now you're good. So sorry about that. Actually, while we were talking, I was like, I think this is wrong. But at that point, like <laughs> you're in this podcasting. Yeah. The, the, I'll tell you a secret about podcasting is you don't have a five minute long conversation and then stop and then back up and try to repeat it because it's bad. Mm-hmm. But I should have probably paused and Googled and said, oh, reverse it. But I didn't. So there it is. Just reverse it. It doesn't matter. You're literally not going to die by thinking an umbra and a penumbra are the opposite. I it's mean, not like the red wire and the green wire. <laughs> I mean, probably not. Probably not. I didn't say if you're in the penumbra, it's safe to look at stare right at the sun. I didn't say that, which is good because that's wrong. It's the other one. Oh well. It's not like I called Jupiter Saturn. Yeah, that, that would be a mistake. That would be Whew. worse. Embarrassing. So we're gonna talk about a movie that when it came out in theaters, everybody said you guys should talk about this and our response was basically we have kids this would require us to go to a movie theater it's probably not going to happen and we'll talk about it when it comes out on video when pretty much anybody can go watch the film mm-hmm. and th- the time has come and the time has come so we're going to talk about hidden figures academy award nominee for best picture by the way mm-hmm. released in late 2016 released widely in uh early 2017 and now available as we said on uh on on demand and other video sources so it's now available outside of theaters and this is a movie directed by a guy named theodore melfi and written by him and allison schroeder it's based on a book by margot lee shatterley called hidden figures that is a, a non-fiction book about the african-american women who worked at nasa during the space race and there are three main characters in in the uh, in the movie, and we follow them and their lives as they participate in uh, important space events in the early space race, specifically in during the uh, during the uh, first wave of astronauts, the Mercury Seven, and and before as they're prepping that that's that's what this movie is it made a lot of money it got academy awards and was generally reviewed well and it's about space at least in part and so we're going to talk about it today steven how do you like how do you what were your feelings how do you like it uh i liked it a lot so i watched it um with my uh with my spouse we both enjoyed it i think she enjoyed it as well i think it i think right off the bat, like I mean, I have not read the book, but I knew about the story going into it, and I was very curious to see how the movie was going to juggle basically yeah. three parallel stories. You know, it follows three women, and they all get their due in the film. They all get enough screen time for their story to move forward. I feel like um, 
they're weighted pretty uh, equally throughout the film. You know, I don't you would think agree, but but, but to, sure. I mean, the the personal stuff is uneven. I think, but you we see um, all three stories, I guess, move forward and and how they interact with how the stories interact with each other. I think was was pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a clear kind of A plot, B plot, C plot in terms of the three characters and what they're doing. Um, we should probably say up front, I, well, uh, back up. I liked it too. Uh, I watched this with my whole family. My kids were kind of tuning in and out because there's stuff that they're not interested in and there's stuff that they're more interested in. But uh, Lauren and I really liked it. I got put it on hold at the library to read the book because I'm really interested in that. I will say, and this is going to be one of my one of my... Is it criticism of the movie? I mean, it's a movie. Movies aren't books and movies aren't real life. But I will say I spent some parts of the movie thinking, surely this didn't actually happen. <laughs> and um, that was generally the, the case was that there there's a lot of Hollywooding going on in this movie. And I think it makes it it's one of those things that I think you wouldn't complain about it if it were. A, an entirely fictional film but since it's it's based on a true story there's this always this debate about how much do you take liberties with what really happened in order to tell a good story because in the end they want to make a two-hour long movie that behaves by sort of follows the rules of cinema storytelling and hidden figures does that it, it is constructed like a hollywood movie with a tight screenplay that hits the beats that a hollywood movie wants to hit and many of those beats are hit at the expense of what actually happened uh, and so you you know that's part of the debate is if you make what really happened it's you, you might as well just make a documentary because if you try, once you start to try to turn that into something that's fictionalized, you will rapidly take away from reality. Because watching exactly what happened in reality is a documentary. And any divergence from that, it's going to seem like a really bad piece of fiction. Because it's going to be, it's not going to follow the rules of fiction as we know them. So, you know, you get in between. And, and they, what I will say is this leans heavily into, we're just going to change things we're just going to combine characters and move things around in order to make the most kind of uh hold together hollywoody version of this story which i think is i think it's fine i think it's a good movie but it does diverge in a bunch of ways which we can talk about from from uh reality and i'm, I'm okay with it but just be be aware that you're not watching a documentary here <laughs> right yeah no absolutely and i think i think that's something Anytime you go into a historical picture like this, that's an important kind of metric to have on hand of, you know, where, where does this movie have to be a movie, right? And not a report. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm mostly okay with the trade-offs they've made there in this film, you know, understanding that things have to change to make a movie work as a movie. Um, I, I feel like they got enough of the heart of it right that I can, I can see past the other stuff you know i don't see it as an issue I, yeah. I, in short i agree with you yeah it's it's um if somebody told you read this book and then break down for me in a minute what you read in the book right you'd make decisions <laughs> about what to leave out and i found this as somebody who tries to communicate uh, technological things scientific things complicated things that mm -hmm. You, you know, and I'm sure you've dealt with this too. You get to the point where you have to make a choice, which is, do I describe this whole thing in detail that the person reading this doesn't care about in order to be exactly right? Or do I sum it up? 
And if you sum it up, yes, what you've done is simplify it. And it's very easy for somebody to say, well, it doesn't exactly work like that. And the answer is, yeah, it doesn't exactly work like that. And you know that, and I know that, but all the people who are listening to me don't know anything about this. And if we go into details of exactly how it works, you'll lose them. They won't care, or it'll be complicated and require stuff that they don't know as background. So we're going to simplify it a little bit. And that is what happens when you take a story that's Mm -hmm. three complex lives being lived over decades and turn it into 130 minutes. (laughs) You got to do it. It's just, you got to do it. (laughs) Uh, So the backdrop here, uh, three main characters, as we said, Taraji P. Henson plays Katherine Johnson. She is somebody who uh, calculated flight trajectories uh, for Project Mercury and on to the Apollo program. Octavia Spencer plays Dorothy Vaughn, who is also a uh, calculator. And this is one of those things that I always talk to my, my kids about when we watch movies like this is uh, their, or not a calculator, a computer. Computer is a word that we think of now whose definition has changed completely from what a computer used to be. Before electronic computers Mm -hmm. were made, computers were people, often women, in fact, very often women, that this was where a well-educated, mathematically inclined, scientifically inclined woman could work. Um, And of course, given the eras, it was often uh, women who had to choose between having a family and being a working woman, there was a lot of perception that most women wouldn't work. Uh, but if you were somebody who was a woman and you wanted to work in these fields, you ended up being quite frequently a computer, which is as, I think in some ways, as disdainful as it sounds, they were the ones who did the math. So you had the the men who were, who were like, oh, well, I'm an engineer, I've got this. And then the women were uh, frequently the computers who did the math because that was they were allowed to do that which i not knowing a lot about this era i find that kind of an interesting division of labor but anyway that was that was uh octavia spencer's character dorothy is essentially the de facto administrator of a whole group of uh, computers of women and they're african-american women because what the movie shows is this segregated two sets of computers white women and black women and octavia spencer is essentially parceling out the assignments for the colored computers as they're called on a sign in uh, in that building at nasa and then Janelle Monet plays a third character, Mary Jackson, who is a math prodigy, basically. And she's one of the computers, but is working closely with scientists, including a Polish scientist who basically says, you should be an engineer. And she has to go through a process of getting the proper education credentials. She has to apply for a job. And then they're told she's told she has more stuff she has to do. And she has to go to an all-white high school in order to take those classes during segregation. And what does she do? She has to get permission, basically, to take the classes so she can apply for the job that she's already qualified to have. And those are the three stories that we follow through um, through the film. Uh, the thing that really struck me right off the bat was, and you, you said a second ago, this is a very different era, a very different time. And, you know, I, I was not alive for this this time in American history. Um, no, I was not. Not uh, even a little. You weren't either, really. Um, you were not. Not no. even a little. Not even a little alive. None alive. And it's really, for me, it really sort of took my breath away to see yeah. 
segregation and to see this tension within NASA, right? I mean, it's, it's, you, you, as despicable and horrific as it is, you know, seeing it on the side of the road with the police officer, that sort of jives with what I know about 1961. But then they go to work and it's the same inside as it is outside. And that really, that really took my breath away just, you know, looking at the the um, the extent and the the long list of achievements uh these women the women they worked with had to be treated so terribly by by everyone um it, it really it really is a, a good reminder of what a terrible time this was and and the remnants of it still felt today you know those echoes are, are v- still very real yeah one of the for, goals of for, this film is absolutely know. to give you a real visceral sense of what uh what segregation the segregation era felt like and again in terms of the reality here a lot of stuff that's depicted in the movie is happening in 61 actually happened earlier and a lot of the segregation uh, at NACA, which was the NASA predecessor, when it became an, NASA, it got, uh, uh, a lot of the s- specific segregation stuff got kind of wiped away. But the we think of the early 60s as the peak of segregation before the Civil Rights Act, before the uh, as the escalation of protests happened. All, you know, we think of the 60s as the crucible for the segregation era and civil rights era. And so this movie puts parks us firmly right there um the the incredibly i think visceral uh scene that almost opens the movie is the three women in a car and it's broken down on the side of the road and a sheriff with a billy club comes up and they're all like we got to deal with this, right? That in any other circumstance as a white person, you would be like, Oh good. They're here to help. But these three black women are like, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And it almost goes really badly. And then they kind of figure out a way to get, make it humorous and get and make an appeal to the sheriff's patriotism because they are working to get the astronauts in there and he ends up turning all the way around to the point where he insists on giving them a high-speed escort to nasa but uh but it doesn't you know Mm -hmm. it's just a problem they solve they didn't solve any broader problems they just managed to navigate the world they live in and survive for another to get to get to their job and actually have to do their job and uh it's that sets the tone for the movie that this is a movie about three women who are navigating a system that is doubly prejudiced against them it's because they're black and because they're women yeah, and it's we move from that that opening scene, you know, we see into their world and then we almost immediately zoom out and see the the tension between the US and the Soviet Union. <laughs> we see uh, Sputnik 4 launch with the dog on board and and we see the government and again, government in in this film means white dudes in skinny black ties in a room, you know, no one else. There, there's oh, yeah. no white, other white guys in, in short sleeve, button up shirts, white shirts and skin and, uh, and ties. Yeah. Black ties. Yeah. Skinny, and, skinny and, black uh, ties, little cigarettes, uh, and, and, po- and pocket protectors. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's it. Those are the guys. So, um, what's funny about this is that this movie actually touches a little bit of the same ground as, a, as, um, uh, from the earth to the moon and, uh, the right stuff. And, you know, it is accurate 
again, movie accurate, but accurate that the U.S. space program kind of lost their uh, grip when when these Russian because they were working on stuff and then the Russians would just do it and they'd be like, gah. And, and, and in fact, you could argue and the argument is definitely made by from the Earth to the moon that the reason that Kennedy announced the moonshot was because NASA had basically said that's the first time we could beat them. Like we're not going to beat them for any of these other milestones, but we could meet we could beat them to the moon if we start now. But we're not going to be the first person in space, first person to orbit. None of that's going to happen. And so the pressure was really on them, and you see that. And I, I like one of the things I like about that is that um, you get the message it's sending, and and I loved this message. The message is sending is how are the Russians beating us? And one of the answers implied to me is, well, you have some of your best and brightest people and you don't let them work (laughs) or you minimize their contributions or you force them to do work that is not the love that it's important, but they could do so much more that that I I feel like implied in that part of the movie is it reminded me of uh, a baseball segregation. And the idea that now when people talk about apologies for the baseball reference, Stephen, I know it's not your favorite thing, but now when people talk about historical baseball figures in the segregation era, uh, white players, there's always that thought that the quality of the play in that era is not comparable to the post segregation era of play because all the best black players couldn't play. And so the leagues were not as hard as they would have been. And I thought about that when I was watching this movie, that I don't know the story about how the Soviet Union, you know, did they not use women? Did they have other ethnic issues where they had people that they wouldn't let work on the space program? I don't know that. But the movie does say, look, we're, we're, we're trying to do all hands on deck here to beat the Russians. And yet this seems r- really stupid, right? <laughs> like, why are we why are we taking parts of our community and saying, we no, we're not interested in you. It's incredibly dumb. So, I mean, even beyond the human rights issues, there's this incredibly stupid, like, what's wrong with your society that you've walled off these people? Uh, no wonder your society is behind the Russians of all people, right? I mean, it's like, ouch. Anyway, I, I thought that was a, a, a really interesting little way to set the scene for what goes on here. And, and the goal is, I think, to show that in this process, these um, these women make their abilities revealed, and they blaze a trail for others. And you know, it's their it's their ability that that uh, breaks these barriers down and makes people realize we can't not use the talents that these people have. And that requires, you know, what a thing that did not happen. But the, the when the climax of the movie, where the Kevin Costner character, Kevin Costner, really good at playing one of those white guys in in uh, white shirts and a buzz cut. By the way, that is, I think, feel like he found his calling there. A '60s NASA guy. Um, he smashes a uh, colored restroom sign late in the movie. Totally didn't happen. But uh, that's the symbolic like. The people at NASA saying we are we are hurting ourselves and our country by treating these people as separate. They are they are part of us and we need to get past this and live our lives. And that's the big symbolic moment, which, again, it's a little corny. It didn't happen, but it is the music swells and it's a great moment.
Yeah, it, it it is a nice moment in the film. That was in doing some reading and and homework for this episode. You know, I came across something about you know things that are factual in the movie, things that aren't, and that that one that one led the article. But uh, <laughs> well, I, there, yeah, there because there's a lot of, there's a lot of that where, like I said, moving around time and location and things, and and that's just invented. Right. Um, I, I like what you said about the the talent found in these women, and then and and their and their coworkers and their and their computer department. Um, Every time one of these these characters moves forward in their career, you know, it's always you always see it for for a minute in the film that the the men working with them sort of take a step back and they're they're astonished that that these women are doing you know the work at the level they are, and all that is filtered through that segregation angle, right? That that of course you know these women are the best in the world at what they're doing, but they can't even see that. They, they have to, they have to sort of move past what they have, you know, what they believe in society um, and just look at the work. And that, that's another, that was another thing in this film that was, that was hard and I think sort of painful to, to watch and, and to see them go through that they are, they're not able to be judged on the merit of their work because all of these other things uh, get in their way unfairly, and and there's a scene uh, later on um, when uh, Catherine is working on reports, right? And she puts her name on the report and keeps being told to take it off. Yeah, Jim Parsons plays an engineer who's a composite of many different engineers, and he's not like he's not a bad guy, but he is a he is firmly entrenched in sort of what the rules are, and he follows the rules, and he says, you know you know, uh, computers don't put their names on reports. Right. Then the implication there is also sort of, that means women don't put their names on reports. <laughs> right. And at some point, like she does so much work on the report that it's sort of, you can't deny it, <laughs> that it, it's her work and not his work. It's, it's her work, but she's denied it. And, and I mean, I was thinking about this cause um, she ended up uh, working on some of the Apollo 13 calculations Mm-hmm. And I, I had this thought, it's the, um, you know, in Apollo 13 where they have to do that burn and they have like a star that they have to put in the scope and like hold it on the star and burn it for 18 seconds. And it's it's going all around and it's super nerve wracking and all of that. Um, the the calculations for that of, of the star and how long to keep it and all of that was Katherine Johnson <laughs> who did it. And this is kind of this movie's point, which is. Where is she in Apollo 13? And the answer is nowhere. Her story is not told, even though it was a key part of that story. And this kind of, this is, uh, when you talk about the name on the on the report, that's part of what, the, the, these are the hidden figures, right? It's not only the math, but it's the people who are hidden figures, double meaning, you know, um, the erasure of the contributions of these women. It's not just that they had to fight to have these careers, but... It's also this movie is also implicitly about the fact that they've that they kind of got erased from the history of these events. And now this movie is trying to uh, to to fix that, at least in part, by reminding us that it wasn't just all those white guys in the short sleeve shirts who were doing this. Yeah, no doubt. I had the same thought about the the Apollo 13 uh, story. And and, um, and I, I mean, I have to confess, to be honest, you know, as a space nerd and as a you know a lover of history um 
I didn't know much about these women going into it. I did not know that Katherine Johnson was involved in Apollo 13. And I, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think part of what this movie does and what the story does is sort of shine a light on that well beyond 1961, right? She was even involved in the shuttle program early on. And, and it's, uh, I don't know. It was just really, it's, the movie's powerful in that way, but one thing I like about the movie is that it, um, it, it, well, it wields its power in a way that is um, sort of quiet and sort of. I mean, yes, you have the big scene where he's smashing down the sign, but I think because it's rooted in three stories that are true and and following these three women in their careers, there's there's a sort a certain level of uh, I don't know the, the the power of this film is, is it's not in your face it's not um you know yelling at the injustice of the situation there's a part of it that does but it's really um like the the story of these two women overcoming it and and getting the work done and at the end of the movie helping save the day uh because of of their gifts and abilities it is again we're breaking it down this is like like the incomparable when we talk about movies we're breaking it down that doesn't mean we don't like it it means we're breaking it down um there are lots of there's lots of fun stuff let's we should probably uh talk about the three stories right so taraji p henson is katherine johnson her story is that she gets called to this room full of white guys by by uh kirsten dunst who is again a uh first off it's a it's a really unflattering uh role she's the way she's made up is she's this stern plain looking white lady and she's kind of angry and she is the she is a representative of the 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 system basically she mm-hmm. is we're gonna follow the rules here are the rules um and the way she Catherine johnson is is put in this group um basically it's like you know they're not gonna they're you're not gonna stick they they never stick and uh but we're gonna send you in there anyway good luck and she proves herself um she proves herself to be incredibly capable and runs into obstacles along the way one of the obstacles that's depicted is that she has to use the colored women's bathroom which in the movie is located across the campus and that there's no colored women's bathroom in the building that they're in. So she has to run to her old building in order to go to the bathroom. And this escalates to the point where um, she does it in a rainstorm. And uh, Kevin Costner's really grumpy because where do you go all this time? And she's soaking wet. And that leads to him smashing the signs down is that is that uh, is that he's not getting the most out of out of this incredibly valuable person because of this ridiculous uh, example of segregation. Um, again, not entirely accurate NASA, once it became NASA, ended all um, segregation, I believe, in its uh, facilities and things like that. But um, uh, racial segregation, although I think there was also still some gender segregation. <laughs> it's oh, the 60s. Um, anyway, but but still, that's that's one of the many things she drinks. She gets herself a cup of coffee and everybody looks at her. And the next day, there's like a little coffee pot that says colored next to it that somebody has put there with the intent for her to make her own coffee and drink out of her own pot. Um, just one thing after another, Jim Parsons character is, uh, is 
keeping her name off of the reports. But also there's just the frustration with how the, the system is run, that she does works an entire day doing calculations. And at the end of the day, Kevin Costner says, oh, yeah, we changed the variables, throw that away, um, start on doing new calculations, which is incredibly inefficient. Um, so that's that's her story. And over time, they do grow to appreciate her. Um, also, they meet John Glenn at one point, and he's the only person they, they're trying to herd him away. And he insists on uh, saying hi to all of the African-American women who are standing in a separate group. Of course they are. And has a nice conversation with with uh, with them. And in the end, uh, Catherine is in some meetings that she basically forces her way into because it's it's more appropriate for her to be there. It's better for that she impresses in meetings. She does you know calculations on a chalkboard. She impresses the astronauts, and it leads up to the fact that as they're trying to do these calculations on a computer for John Glenn's first uh, flight in orbit, that he asks specifically for that smart lady to check the calculations and they have to go get her and have her check the calculations before John Glenn is satisfied that, uh, that the mission is one that's safe for him. Now in the movie that happens on the pad in reality, it did happen. It just happened a couple of days before that John Glenn was like, why don't we have her check those numbers? And she checked them and they were fine. And then, and then he launched, but that's her, that's her story arc. And it's, and it's a great, I mean, that to me, that is the core of the movie. Um, She also, there is also a, uh, we should say that this is not all about space. It is all about these women's lives outside. Uh, Catherine has children. Her husband has died. She's in this, uh, in this community. Uh, We see, her in church at one point we see her at a picnic she meets uh, a man who they're trying to fix her up with who is uh maharshala ali who uh i remember from luke cage he's in luke cage mm-hmm. um and uh he is initially he says something sexist to her and she's like uh, good day sir yeah <laughs> and then he apologizes and there's a romance and they get married and and that's uh, that's happening in her life and the thing i took away from that is oh my god she has so much to deal with at work and she has three little kids um just amazing just amazing but it's a great story and it, and it, and has this this the happy ending is she gets the respect of everybody around her the things change at nasa culturally and she gets the even the respect of the kind of mean lady Kirsten Dunst and uh, goes on to have an incredibly successful NASA career and gets the Presidential Medal of Freedom and all of those things. And that's her that's her story. That's the main story in here. And it's uh, it's great. It's great. Um, And Taraji P. Henson is great in the in the part. Mm hmm. Um, Why don't you tell us about our 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 sponsor this week and then uh, we'll jump into Dorothy's story. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you in part by StoryWorth. Now, think for a moment about family gatherings. Um, I just mentioned a picnic. Sure, family gatherings. The ones where you're all sitting around and the stories start. Somebody tells a story. Your family delves into the funny moments of their lives. You know, you're, you've got a parent or a, or a grandparent or an uncle who tells a story and you're like, I cannot believe I've never heard that story before. That's such a great story. Or you might roll your eyes and be like, I've heard that story before. But sharing those stories is what StoryWorth is all about. It makes it easy and enjoyable for your loved ones to share their life stories with weekly emailed story prompts and questions you might not think to ask. It actually emails you. Uh, StoryWorth does uh, emails the person that you are wanting to get stories from and says, here's a story. Uh, Why don't you tell this? And they reply in email 
And that gets collected by StoryWorth. And at the end of the year, those stories are bound in a hardcover book, black and white interior, color cover, up to 480 pages. So you and your loved ones can preserve their memories and even pass the book on to future generations. So here's how it works. You buy a subscription for someone important to you, and every week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. They can email back with their story, or they can even record it over the phone. After a year, their stories are bound into that beautiful book for them to keep. It's a great way to learn more about someone. The questions are designed to evoke entertaining, surprising, and moving responses. And StoryWorth is also a great way of staying in touch with the family members who maybe live a little further away. If they've got email or they can talk on the phone, you can you can start that contact. And it's in a very personal way. You're getting emails from StoryWorth. They all have a very personalized feel about them. Uh, you can write stories and upload photos by email on the web in an app. Share them with as many people as you want. You just invite them via email, and you can save and edit all your stories on StoryWorth.com. All the data is secure. Everything is private by default. You get to control who sees your stories. You can send this as a gift. I can send this to my mom. You can share memorable stories. And uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool, I have to say. I was impressed with the way it uh, it feels personal, and it's sending emails and saying, "All right, I'd like you to talk about uh, food you don't eat, or what life was like as a child, or what one of your first memories is." And they are um, the questions. They've obviously been curated to to elicit really interesting responses. And when you reply to one of those emails, it goes back to the people who have signed up, and you can set that up if you gift this to somebody if if you buy it for yourself and you're going to distribute it to others you get to say who gets those emails back or they can go on the web or look in the app and it's uh really nice it's really starting a conversation and then also knowing that that conversation is being recorded to end up in the in the book form where it's written down and i have to say as somebody who had a parent who was a uh, a, a kind of a an amazing storyteller. He had all of these stories that he would tell about his childhood, my father. And when he passed away, I thought, you know, I hope I remember those stories and write them down and and maybe wish that he had written more of them down. And this is a way to do that, is to get people in your life who have stories to tell and, and get them to tell them in a way that it can be saved permanently. StoryWorth, uh, you can get $20 off by visiting storyworth.com slash liftoff. $20 off when you visit storyworth.com slash liftoff. Father's Day is coming up, for example. Maybe there's a reason to do it. Uh, StoryWorth is a new way to bring the family together. Thank you, StoryWorth, for supporting us. So let's, let's talk about Dorothy a little bit. We we mentioned her story um, a couple of minutes ago, but she is not officially, not on paper, not being uh, compensated <laughs> for it, but she is is leading the team of um, of black computers. And Yep. She, uh, the, the Kristen Dunst character, they, they butt heads the most. Um, oh yeah. She is the one who is over Dorothy and is not allowing her to progress. She's in charge of the white computers. And then, and then Dorothy is in charge, but not being paid because they don't want to bother hiring somebody and paying them more of the colored computers group, the West computer center or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly right. And I love her story. It's, um, it's. It's shorter, but uh, I think for for computer geeks, it's such a great story that she sees the future. She sees it when they get that IBM 7090 mainframe, which there are some funny scenes there that I really love. 
about how the doors to the room that they've set up in this building for the computer are not big enough to <laughs> yeah. get the computers in so they have to smash the they have to make it a double door and it has to be taller and then they get it in there but she sees this coming and the idea is that once they have the computer the electronic computer from IBM they won't need these human computers and they'll be out of the job and that'll be the end and so this character played delightfully by Octavia Spencer um, sets out to learn how to be a computer programmer and so that they can apply their their math skills and their knowledge to this new computer that nobody knows how to use. So she goes to the library and we have a scene where she's trying to get a Fortran book out of mm-hmm. the library and is told to go get the colored books, that these are the white books, which is, again, one of those scenes of like, good grief. Um, and so you cut to them, her and her kids riding away on the bus, and she pulls the book out of her bag, and they're like, Mommy, did you steal that book? She's like, I pay my taxes. This book belongs to all of us. <laughs> That's a great it's a line. Great. Uh, it's, so, it's so great. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, she, like I said, she sees this coming, and there's there's a lot of building up to this. The IBM guys are there, and they're struggling to get it to work. Yeah. They, um, they, nobody knows how to get this thing to work, and she walks in and figures it out, right? Like, yeah. she, she knows... she. She knows more than them. That's what they're saying is this woman knows more about this IBM computer than anybody else at NASA. Right. She she sneaks in. Uh, she runs her, her Fortran on punch cards. Uh, yep. Kids, Love that. B- before iPhone apps, you had punch cards. <laughs> I had to explain to my kids. I said, those cards are the program. You couldn't type yeah. them in or put them on a disc. You had to punch, the, punch them in. blown. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so she reads the book and she teaches her her uh her people her uh computers how to program as well so that when the opportunity arises and there is that wonderful scene where she's in there and the 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 guys in the with the pocket protectors and the shirts come in the ibm guys and are like what are you doing in here who are you yeah hey wait it's working and she's like yeah it's working (laughs) i know how to do this and then the next scene is like they just march all of the uh all the computers over to the IBM room and they're like, we got this. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. And that's what, that is what happened is the, um, in, in history that is, that is accurate that the, the women who were the computers ended up being the ones who embraced, uh, programming the IBM mainframe to do that. And so they, you know, they, they did a little bit of a retraining and used their skills and, uh, continued to be, uh, important parts of NASA, even yeah. when the manual math was not uh, was not necessary. And in fact, one of the things I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I actually shouted at the screen at one point when they, when they when they tell Catherine Johnson to go back and do more calculations because they changed the door or something like that. I actually shouted at the screen. It would be great if we could just change a variable in a computer <laughs> program. Yeah. No. And that's the parallel that. story. It's like, this is how they're going to do that. You kind of have two things going on with the story uh, between Dorothy's work and Catherine's work, where in a way, Dorothy's work is going to replace what Catherine does. Right. And so you have that sort of tension. Um, but at the same time, Dorothy and her leadership, even though it's, it's not recognized by NASA, she is thinking about her team. Uh, Catherine is a part of that team and paving a way for them out of a career that is going away. Right. She comes in with the Fortran mm-hmm. book and says, we're going to learn this. You know, she's not just looking for a way out for herself, but for 
but for her staff as well. And and ultimately she gets to benefit from that and is eventually promoted to be a manager over that team. And those women are uh, transferred from being human computers to running the IBM. And, uh, but I I just, that was the part of the story that really uh, got to me was that, you know, she, she could have just worked for herself, right? But she wanted to raise all of them out of that room into the next level of their career together as a group. I think that's just great. Yeah. Uh, the um, As a tech person, I, I, I really, we, we see this, right? This is, this is staying up with it and, and not just focusing on your one thing and being left behind, but being flexible and learning about what's next. Uh, that's, what, that's what her story is. So I really, I felt a real connection with with her because that was that that seemed like those are people I know and that reminds me of myself to 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 keep kind of seeing what comes next and staying flexible so that you can you could do the next thing um, because it's obvious that this is this is going to change it's also um true my mother so my mother-in-law is a, a former is a retired uh I think COBOL programmer wow. not Fortran but again old school programmer and I think people lose sight of this that the the fact of men dominating in the programming field is not historical like women were actually quite prominent in the early days of computer programming um and there are lots of older women who are retired who are computer programmers. And I, I think, again, you talk about erasure. I think people have forgotten that. And that's one way that I think maybe the, uh, the male dominated programming world justifies its existence as saying, Oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a guy thing. And it's like, it's totally not, it's not historically. No. <laughs> right. So I, I think that uh, throughout this movie, I was thinking about this movie is about two things at once in that it is about gender and about race because these women are achieving uh, over over both forms of discrimination at various points. And it's not just them about them being black. It, it is about them also being women. And at several points, these characters are told, women don't do this. And it's not that, that black people don't do it. It's that women don't do it. They're like, well... <laughs> too bad right and uh and so i i i like to see that yeah um so the the third character uh is uh janelle monet's character she is um oh what's her name mary mary and she's the one we see first as she's like a she's like a very talented child and you need to you know you need to move basically to, to send her to the really good school because she's brilliant and uh, her story is she ends up working with these uh, these scientists and uh, who are working on the spacecraft. And the Polish scientist says you should. There's an open job for uh, an engineer. You should apply because you are qualified to do that job. You would be a great engineer. And she she says there aren't any you know engineers and and uh, they're not going to let me do it. And and he's very encouraging, right? And he says, look, I'm a I'm a Polish Jew. And my family died in the Holocaust, and here I am, and we're making spaceships. So don't say it's not it's not possible. Yeah. Which is a it's a nice moment, and uh, and she has her setbacks. I mean, first off, there's that great line, right? Where, which is, you know, what if you know, what if you were a white man? She's I'd already be an engineer if right. I was a white man, right? This is not this is not the issue here. The issue here is how do I get through these barriers? 
And so she uh, has she applies for the job, and Kirsten Dunst has gets to be mean and say, uh, "There are added qualifications. It's here in the manual. You can't apply." And so she says, "Well, okay." I guess I need to take these classes and the places she can take the classes are at an, at an all white college and at an all white college extension, or it's a college extension at an all white high school. And where this diverges from reality is that in reality, she had to go to like the town and say, can I, you know, have permission to go to your, your segregated high school facility to take these extension courses. They're like night courses offered by the university at the campus and the town, you know, and, and she had to do that. And the town said, yes, in the movie, she goes to a court and, uh, it, you know, courts are dramatic. It's, it's, and it is very dramatic and they're all, you know, it's all these white people in the court and, and the black people have to stand in the back and she's called forward and she approaches the judge and she, and then there's a nice, again, very Hollywood, but a really kind of rousing speech of, you know, you were the first, you were the first at this, you were the first at that. Now you can be the first to let me be the first to do this thing and become an engineer at NASA. And she has a whole speech for the judge and the judge's response is only night classes and that's it and she but she wins she gets Mm -hmm. to do it i I do want to back up one second um it's really the only technical detail in the movie that really rubbed me the wrong way okay when we first see her at work uh they're testing the mercury capsule in a wind tunnel right which uh the mercury capsule is itty bitty is this movie is a good reminder of how small that thing was and she's talking about oh there's a problem with the heat shield right that's kind of the uh the concern and uh but what they show in the film is issues with the panels on the side of the ship not not the bottom and that's a super minor detail and i think only space nerds would catch it but uh it was definitely was like a little poke to me it's like that's that's not the heat shield that's the side panel like yeah you don't want that leaking either right yeah but um the whole deal is with the the heat shield but (laughs) And yeah, because they're and they're also foreshadowing the the what really happens, which Absolutely. is the John Glenn. John Glenn has a heat shield warning, and so they keep the, the again. This is right out of the right stuff too, and they keep the the pack on uh, because they think that that might help hold the heat shield in place. And everybody worries that John Glenn is going to die in reentry, and then he doesn't, and everything's okay. So they want to make you start doubting the heat shield right up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair it, enough. Yeah, You're it, right. it plants that seed. Um, it's a side panel. It's a side panel that is flapping off, and they actually show it flapping later on. Um, and that's not the heat shield; that's just the, that side panel kind of f- flapping around. Yeah, and, and again, that's not—that's the only technical thing that jumped out at me that that was straight up incorrect that I caught. And I mean, that's fine. Like, I, I'm, I don't—it's not a, a, a reason to dislike the movie at all. But um, so so to get back to I guess where we are in her story, she goes to court. She gets the thumbs up, but you have to go to night classes. And she uh, she walks into this classroom, and the, oh, man. they've already started, uh, you know, or at least they're talking. And so she comes in, and you can hear a pin drop. Everyone's staring at her. And the silence. It is that classic scene of just, like, silence. Yeah. Everybody stops talking. And a couple it's of things all happen. white men. All, all, again, all white guys. And a couple of things happen. One, she said that there's no segregated seating, so she just picks a seat. And do you it, mind if I just sit anywhere? Yeah. You have, you, you, since you have no no uh, colored seating, do you mind if I just sit anywhere? <laughs> Which is a, a very powerful thing, and and the the and you've seen this more recently than I have. But the teacher says something along the lines of, um, "I don't know how to teach a woman," 
And she says, well, I imagine it's the same as teaching a man. (laughs) (laughs) And and again, you're just like, holy, holy crap. But uh, her response to it, um, out out of the three characters, she is the one who um, uh, is the... The, the most outspoken one, I think, you know, she, uh-huh. they, they warn her not to get in trouble with the cop at the beginning of the movie is, you know, so, Hey, you know, <laughs> we know you want to yeah, say something. She, don't she's say something. She's played as being the younger feistier. Yes. Yes. Feisty is a good word. Um, but I love that scene in the classroom and, and, you know, she says what she, she says, she sits down and, uh, gets to business. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and that's that it's a, it's a great scene. So we get those three. I mean, essentially, that's the that's the movie. Is we get those three threads throughout, and uh, some. You know, I don't know what else we should mention. There is a great moment, uh, sappy, but it's a great moment that um, one of the things that that she's instructed, the Catherine's instructed, is the dress code, including um, no jewelry except for a pearl necklace. And when she blows up in frustration later about the about the the walking through the rain and the colored coffee pot and all of that one of the things she says is only a pearl necklace uh, you know i don't i i can't afford a pearl necklace what do you even t- it's just like a, on the litany of things that frustrate her about this and all these rules and uh they they she's she's basically let go um, by Kevin Costner because they've got the IBM computer. Mm-hmm. So they're going to let her go. They don't need her anymore. They're going to take her back to, and we, which is fine because they end up all learning how to program the IBM and she gets requested to do more calculations and it all works out. But there's a low point for her. But uh, they they give her a pearl necklace. And that's like, that's basically as she's, as she's going out the door, um, they everybody in the room who we've seen, you know, minimal interaction from, but it is, there's a lot of shorthand there. Um, everybody has chipped in to buy her that pearl necklace as a, as a thank you for all of the service that she's done. Um, and it's a, it's, it's one of those Hollywood moments I will grant you, but it is a great one. <laughs> it <laughs> is. That's a, uh, that's, and- that's the, we, 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 re- she, it is the moment in the script that is, she has earned their respect. She, they, they value her, um, all the crap that everybody went through, it they they everybody has gone past it and recognized how much uh how much she meant to what they the work they were doing yeah um i, I do think we should we should talk about the the very ending so she's more or less let go um returns to the the room with the other women who are who are the computers and then this this issue comes up with glenn's flight and like we said you know there's issue uh, a warning with the heat shield they keep the retro pack in place to to thought is i guess to hold the heat shield in place by some straps and she's asked to uh to work on the math for that re-entry because the ibm is all of a sudden is giving conflicting answers and so they want her to check it and she does it she turns it in and she uh goes into the control room and there she goes to go into the control room and the door is slammed shut in her face and you know, right after she's right. she's done this work to potentially save John Glenn's life, to bring him home safely, and and it's then, one last indignity right. after all of this, one last barrier that you know, even though she's been in, in, made part of the team, integrated into NASA in so many ways, at this point she has the door slammed in her face, mm-hmm. and then Kevin Costner lets her in, and and lets her be a part of 
of what's going on in that con- control room and lets her see firsthand what her work does and it, it, that he gets brought home safely. And it, it's a nice moment. Uh, Costner's character, uh, you read him at the beginning and he's introduced as this guy who don't speak unless you're spoken to, you know, do exactly what he asks. He's presented as a very hard edged straight ruler kind of guy. And as we get to know him as, as the film goes on, um, Catherine really sort of cracks into that. Right. And yeah, and you see him um, warm to her and to her situation. And uh, to the point of, you know, telling uh, what's his name, his engineer, you know, Hey, you know, several times, you know, you need to let her do this. He, he lets her come to the meeting over his objection. And, and this is sort of the final uh, bit of that redemption for his character, uh, if you will, that, Hey, you know what? You come in here and you're going to be a part of this. And um, uh-huh. it's a real, it's a real nice ending to her, uh, to her story in the film. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great bookend. Again, in history, it, it, she was just allowed to be there, <laughs> but it's important for the movie to show this, this, uh, I, I think the b- bittersweetness of it, that despite all of her work proving her, her uh, value and her right to be there and her skill, um, there are still barriers placed in her way. But, you know, in the end, uh, it's once again, it's like the Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner represents kind of the the changing face of society, I guess, is the way the best way I could do it is like Kevin Costner is um, is acting as 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 change and there's been there there's some criticism of the of the film because the film's director and screenwriters uh the director is the co-screenwriter are white and there's some criticism of the Costner role as being um a little bit too much as the um this this will let this will let the white people feel good about themselves part of the movie and i think you know there's some validity in that that there are there are ways where he um he is heroic in breaking down barriers, but you know, uh, you know, that's a valid perspective and I'm a white person. So it's very hard for me to, to step outside myself and say it, but I feel like this movie's pretty strong in that the women do everything that's within their power to break down the barriers. And that like the Costner character is mostly there to be the, you know, the, the, in, in the end, the society, and the racism in the society and the sexism in the society, the society has to relent at some point, has to give and say, you're right. You've proven that you should be here. And I think that's sort of what his role really is, is, is to do that, to say, yeah, this is stupid. We all know this is stupid. This needs to end now. And he's not necessarily heroic about it. He's just being a guy who is doing the right thing. But, um, that that last the last scene feels a little bit like that where it's like oh by his good graces she's allowed in it's like well yeah that's that's fine but you know he's not the hero of this movie right he's 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 a a person who's doing the right thing the women are the heroes of this movie yep i totally agree 
I think that does it. I feel I feel like we've covered it. It's a good movie. It's a, it's a good as a space nerd, you know, the scenes that are not at NASA frustrated me a little just because I wanted to go back to space. I wanted to go back to NASA and see more, but there's a lot of good space stuff in it. I would say that this should be on the list of movies that people watch about the space race that you should put this with Apollo 13 and with the right stuff and with From the Earth to the Moon. Um I yeah, th- those are all yeah, but somebody was ta- asking about From the Earth to the Moon, which is not on streaming, which really frustrates me. But I will recommend to anybody out there on Liftoff who would be interested in seeing that series. It's a great series. Um, it was released in 4x3, and then they did a new version called the Signature Collection that's in 16x9. This is a 10-episode, 12-episode HBO miniseries produced by Tom Hanks about uh, Apollo. And it's great. And because they did two versions, like I bought the first version and then they did the widescreen version and then I bought the widescreen version. And I think I donated the first version, which I think that was a mistake. I think the four by three version is the real one. Um, and that the other one was just sort of mostly cropped, which is I, I regret not having the four by three version. But what I'm saying is uh, people who love this thing bought it twice and probably sold or got rid of the <laughs> original. So get thee to eBay is what I'm saying find a used copy because i think it's out of print um but there are a lot of copies out there it's not streaming yet and if you listen to this podcast and you haven't seen from the earth to the moon you are in for a treat it's fantastic and i hope they're working on like an hd remaster re-release that they'll put up on hbo go or something like that at some point because it is a wonderful mini series that covers a lot of the same ground so people should check that out and i i would i would enshrine hidden figures in that in that uh, group now of of movies about this era that are um that are required viewing i think if you're a space fan yeah i, I think you're absolutely right so uh, we don't have much in the way of show notes this week, uh, but what is there is at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 48. You can get in touch with us there. You can find us on Twitter. The show is at liftoff podcast. Jason is at Jay Snell. And you can find me there as ISMH. So until our next Fortnite, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Adios. Adios.